Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we thank you this evening and we praise you. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would enter our hearts and our minds, fill my words, and open your scriptures that we might be led to Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, I recently saw a news story about a family in Australia who came home two weeks ago to find that there was an extra ornament on their Christmas tree. In fact, here's a picture of it now. It was a koala bear. Now, while the family was out running errands, getting ready for Christmas, the furry little guy sneaked into their house, scaled up the tree, and planted himself at the top where he hung on tenaciously. In fact, he adamantly refused to come down. The koala even tried eating some of the leaves on the tree, only to find out it was an artificial tree. <laughs> and apparently, well, koalas don't like the taste of plastic very much at all. Fortunately, a team of koala bear rescuers, I guess they have those in Australia, they came and they rescued the little bear. Once they got him safely outside, everyone celebrated by singing of his freedom. They sang the Christmas carol, "'Tis the season to be jolly." Koala la 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 Clearly, Sammy the Seal is not the only one with a mixed-up Christmas song tonight. Over the past few weeks, we have been looking and uh, at the, the songs of Christmas preparing uh, for the blessed event of our Savior's birth. I don't mean that we've been looking at Rudolph or Mama Kissed Santa Claus Under the Tree, Jingle Bells, any of those kind of songs, but the songs in the Bible that are found in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit of God entered upon the scene after 400 years of long silence and waiting, all those who were involved were filled with joy and wonder, which was scarcely containable. Mere words weren't enough. In fact, God's faithful people had to sing. Tonight, we're going to look at one more song. We've heard it already. Uh, we've heard parts of it, at least. The song sung in response to the birth of Jesus. The song of the angels. In fact, the text tells us that it was a multitude, an uncountable number of the heavenly hosts that appeared praising God and singing Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's a very short song. It's only 17 words. And it's been an inspiration for countless composers over the last 2,000 years. It's called the Gloria, or the Gloria in Excelsius Deo, after the first words of the song in the Latin. And I think basically every song we sing tonight has got some little part of the Gloria in it. The song itself is comprised of just two phrases. The first phrase is what the good news means to God, and the second phrase is what it means for us. Well, the first part, the Godward part, glory to God in the highest. The angel's song focuses on the true and the living God, the God who is above all things, who is holy and mighty, who is glorious and powerful, strong and good and kind, who is sovereign and who is inspiring of all. The most glorious sunrise pales in comparison to God's beauty. 
the most extreme thrill that you could ever have on earth is sheer numbness compared to the God who is worthy of praise. He is the one who set all things in motion. The one who, before the world existed, determined that he would enter into his creation to be born as a baby, to live and die for us that we might be restored to him and brought into his family. Theologian Warren Wiersbe says, the angels praise God at the beginning of creation and now they praise him at the beginning of the new creation. They're praising God because they know who this baby is. It's their Lord. And they're stunned by it. They marvel about what he would do for the people of this world. And it isn't just the angels who praise him. Whenever people respond to Jesus, their Savior, they always marvel and praise him too. Listen to these words I received recently from a man named David who gave his life to Christ here at Holy Cross just a few weeks ago. This is what David wrote me. All my life I've struggled with fear, failure, acceptance, and guilt. When I finally opened my heart and soul to Jesus, all that immediately went away. It was gone. It vanished. I ultimately realized that Jesus is not about any of that. I know now that he loves me unconditionally and accepts and loves me for who I am, not what I am or what I have or have not accomplished in my life. When I accepted Christ and let him in, it was like this huge heavy yoke was lifted off my shoulders. Seriously. Some of my friends and co-workers noticed that my posture was beginning to slouch. Now I feel physically lighter, full of joy, and a long-awaited peace. I can't fully describe to you how good I feel. And I also can't imagine how in the world I'm going to thank and praise my Lord for this new gift of life he has given me. Where do you start? I mean, this is the greatest thing I have ever experienced. In the meantime, I will pray for a way to thank him and lift him above all. And I will continue to build and strengthen my relationship with the Lord through a better understanding of his grace and love. I so look forward to the journey. Praise Jesus. You see, when the love of God gets a hold of your life and when you know that you are deeply loved by your God, when his grace meets your need, when his forgiveness washes you clean, you can't help but sing and shout like my friend David, like the multitude of angels, glory to God in the highest. Well, that's the first part of the angel song. The second part shows what it meant for us all. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased, or you might also say, upon whom his favor rests. I recently read a message by Ed Rowell and Johanna Reardon called Angels, a Song of Peace. And they pointed out that peace means different things to different people. Now think about it. To a child whose parents constantly drink and argue, peace means a day away from the chaos of home. To the commission-only salesperson, living under the pressure of annual quotas and mounting bills at home, peace means a finalized sale. To the parent of a colicky baby, Peace means getting to sleep after hours of rocking and consoling. To my father, as an infantryman walking the point through razor-sharp elephant grass, 
in the central highlands of Vietnam, peace meant getting home to the ones he loved. For most people, peace means the end of something. The end of a war, the end of a gut-wrenching argument, the end of non-stop crying, the end of a school year, the end of a contentious political race, the end of a pandemic. And all of these are good, but they're temporary. The end of wars and arguments, well, guess what? Wars and arguments will come again. Tears will come. Strained relationships will again come. Political tensions and even out-of-control illnesses that we can't control. This is the reality of a fallen world at odds with its creator. But the peace that the angels sing about is the peace of God that rests on those upon whom his favor rests, who have his favor, those with whom God is pleased, those who by faith have received God's grace. This peace means more than a truce in the battles of life. It means well-being and health, prosperity and security, soundness and completeness, and it is very, very personal. The way I have personally experienced this peace is not that all the battles stop. It's not that life is always smooth sailing with no problems. The offer is not come to Jesus and all your problems go away. No, there are still plenty of problems around and sometimes I'm the one who causes them. What's so personal about the peace is that God is personally with me in the midst of whatever I face. In fact, what I hear the Lord say in the depths of my heart more often than anything else is, I am with you. Be at peace. Sometimes it sounds like this, fear not, my son, I am with you. Sometimes it's be still and know that I am your God. Sometimes it's trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me, and I will direct your steps. All of which boils down to peace. I am with you. What I've realized, as I've learned to slow down and listen to that still, small voice, and as I fill myself with the words of his book, the Bible, what I've realized is that he's trustworthy. And he's good and he's true. And no matter what situation I'm in, the God of the universe, the God of angel armies is right there with me. He's by my side. He's with me. He's in me. He's not against me. He's for me. And with him on my side, no matter what I face, I'm in the majority. And it works that way for you too. That brings me great peace. That brings me a steadiness and a stability. It's what keeps my steps firm. It's what allows my heart to settle. It's what lets my mind clear. The peace he gives is not only personal, but it's also permanent. Now, I don't mean that you feel it every second of every day as though you're floating around in some kind of zen-like state. By permanent, what I mean is that God's peace is not based upon our achieving it or our earning it, or our acquiring it, or our studying for it, we receive it by grace, through faith. 
angels declare, this peace comes not from religion, but from the child born in the city of David, the Savior Jesus, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He brought a, a, a permanent peace, a permanent peace with God. It's peace that was won for us by our Savior as he hung upon the cross and said, Father, forgive them. It's peace that is granted through God's Son who hung in our place and took upon himself the death that we deserve, who experienced the death that we deserve as he bore the penalty for our sin and then three days later was raised from the dead to show that the penalty had been paid. Through him, peace with God was permanently secured for all who trust in him. There is no more necessary. You know what I love? I love that the first words of the resurrected Jesus to his gathered followers were all about peace. John chapter 20, he said, peace be with you. And then he showed them his nail-pierced hands and he showed them the scars in his feet Know this, that his wounds, his cross, and peace are inextricably bound. If there is no cross, there is no peace. But when you know his cross, you will know his peace. And then he said, I'm sending you out. He gives us peace with God, personal and permanent, and then says, I'm sending you out. And then he repeats himself, peace be with you again, because he knows we're afraid to go out most of the time. And he says, receive my Holy Spirit. I give you the gift of myself. I give you my power, not merely words, but power. Power. And then he tells us to forgive others, just as we have been forgiven. Well, that's what the angel psalm is about. As they filled the sky, as they declared the wonders of praise, a multitude of voices crying out in Worship, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The question is, what does it require from us? And the answer is, it requires humility. That's what God blesses, and that's what draws him near. Remember that the angels declared these words not to the religious people, not to the scholars, not to the rich, not to the priests, not to the politicians or the Pharisees, to the high or the mighty, but to the shepherds in the fields at night. They spoke to the outsiders and the outcasts, the despised, and the message from God is clear. God comes to the needy. God comes to the poor in spirit. God comes to the broken. God comes to the humble. The Bible tells us that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's the humble upon whom the peace and favor of God rests. Rick Warren once said, to receive his serenity, you've got to exchange your vanity. It's humility that touches God's heart. When you humbly ask God for help, he opens the floodgates of heaven. He pours out his mercy. His heart is drawn to you. So tonight, humbly exchange your vanity for his serenity. Receive forgiveness. Receive peace. 
And if there is anything in your past, if there is anything in your present that makes you cringe with shame, that causes you embarrassment or guilt, confess it to Christ who can give you peace. If you're aware of any harsh words you've spoken, if if you carry regrets like a weight upon your soul, then give them to Christ who can give you peace. And if you have scars on your heart and scars on your life because of what others have done to you, well, Christ can heal you and give you peace. And if you have bitterness within, well, forgive and Christ can give you a peace. Last thing I want to say is this. If 2020 has taken a toll upon you emotionally, physically, spiritually, psychologically, well, why not give him the year tonight? Why not make that your present to him? Lay the year before him this night and invite him to come in in a new way. He will give you his peace. Let's pray. Lord, many of us are tired and worn out and burned out. We come to you now and we ask you to bring us the recovery of life. We pray, Lord, that you teach us to walk with you and help us to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Lord, we know you will not lay anything heavy or ill-fitting upon us. We choose to keep company with you. We ask you to teach us to live freely and lightly. We humbly receive your favor tonight. We receive your peace. We receive you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, and change us so that our lives and our words will bring glory to God in the highest. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.